You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. We are going to be going over Chapter 12 of the United Order, pages 170 through 184. You can find the text to this reading at ogdenkraut.com. Click on Read Ogden's Books and then scroll down to United Order. This chapter is titled The Inheritance of of the saints. We'll get right into the reading. And uh, like I said yesterday, or last time I did a show, 
uh, we're not taking calls today and uh, I'm not worrying about chat rooms or any of that. So, uh, uh, and I, I'll post this when I'm ready to post it. I'm not doing them at 8 o'clock at night anymore. So, anyway, all right, so let's get into the reading. I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order and arrange by lots the inheritances of or the inheritances uh, of the saints. That's Doctrine and Covenants, section 85, verse 7. Now, he didn't quote the full verse. There's more to that verse. You can go check that out for yourself if you'd like. But he wanted to get to the point where the one mighty and strong will set the house of God in order and arrange by lot the inheritances of the saints, which is something that is important for the setting in order because the church and the whole house of God, in fact, has gotten out of order. And uh, it, and it I, <sighs> there's people out there that think that they can work to set everything in order and that their contributions will be all right, just whatever. But there's actually a specific person that's supposed to do this. And the reason for that um, is it, it's good for everybody to do everything that God has commanded, and they should be doing that. But with uh, in Joseph Smith's day, he received his calling and election, and he was sealed up to God. And because he was the man, one man on the earth that was sealed up to God. Uh, other people were sealed to him through the law of adoption, which Wilford Woodruff did away with, I think, in the 1890s. But that was an important part of the restoration of the gospel on the earth, was the law of adoption, where people were sealed, men were sealed to Joseph Smith and... Joseph Smith being sealed to God made it so that those men who are sealed under him could be sealed to those men who are sealed above him. And then, you know, everybody that God is sealed to, you know, it's all a huge link. And uh, and it takes a link on the earth for that to happen. And uh, that's why when it says there's never but one man on the earth that holds the sealing power, well, that's what that's about. Um, it's about the law of adoption. And when Joseph was taken off the earth, uh, people could still be sealed to others who had been sealed to him. But when the chains and the links got broken, and because of corruption in the priesthood in all of the different groups, not just one group or the other, um, there had to be a hard reset. And part of the reason why I had the Father lay his hands on my head and seal me up into himself and give me those sealing keys and all of the other keys that he gave me was because I became that one man on the earth that you have to go through like Joseph was back then um, to be sealed in a continuous link back to Adam, Michael, who is the father, both spiritually and temporally. So anyway, uh, continuing on with the reading. 
And uh, by the way, I'm sorry if that offends people. I know it does. But I'm going to say it anyway. It's like Joseph Smith said, I will stand uh, for true principles even if I stand alone. And uh, it is what it is. So anyway, the above quotation is a portion of a revelation contained in a letter from the Prophet Joseph Smith to W.W. Phelps at Independence, Missouri. After quoting the revelation, the prophet continued by writing, quote, what or what I have said, or if what I have said is true, how careful men ought to be in what they do in the last days, lest they are cut short of their expectations, and they that think they stand should fall because they do not keep the commandments of the Lord's commandments. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 1, page 299. And I actually have something to say about this as well. Um, there are so many people that check all the boxes in the church and they think that because they've been sealed in the temple and they pay their tithing and uh, and they do all of the things that they think are supposed to be done, well, there's a lot more to it. You have to gather design. You have to gather you can't just remain out in the world. I know that Joseph F. Smith and others have said that you can, but that contradicts the Doctrine and Covenants in the Lord's Revelations. And Joseph Smith said in the Times and Seasons of April 1844, if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, set them down as imposters. God doesn't give a word, uh, a command, to gather and then say, oh, never mind. That's not how it works. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants his saints to come out of Babylon and join together as Zion and build up Zion. So when you have presidents of churches telling people not to worry about gathering and it contradicts former revelation, Joseph Smith said you have to set them down as imposters. Now, if there's all of these other things that have to be done, like united orders and the law of consecration, plural celestial marriage is a doctrine, um, and there's a bunch of others, and you just tell yourself all the time that, oh, we don't have to worry about that because the prophet today uh, doesn't command us in all things or... Um, or nobody else is doing it, or, oh, that was for those guys back then, but we don't have to worry about those things now. Like, you're cutting yourself short. And in order to remain sealed to your spouses, you actually have to receive the highest blessings. And if you're not living the law of the celestial kingdom then you're not going to have your expectations met. And there will be weeping and welling and gnashing of teeth. Continuing in the uh, this chapter, in an article dealing with this particular letter, letter and the revelation it contains, the First Presidency of the Church issued their views in 1907, so the members of the church could understand 
their position on the matter. They agreed that the subject of this whole letter to Phelps and the part accepted as a revelation relates to the affairs of the church in Missouri and the gathering of the saints to that land and obtaining their inheritance under the law of consecration and the stewardship. And that is found in Improvement Era, Volume 10, page 931. The Lord called Edward Partridge to the office of a bishop with a particular mission so the saints might be gathered upon the land of Zion. Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verse 14. And like I said, like you've got these guys, these presidents of churches, saying Zion's wherever the saints are. Well, um, in Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verse 14, the Lord says that the saints might be gathered to the land of Zion, which is not wherever you choose to be at. That's a specific place. Continuing on, and to divide by lot their inheritance. At one time, Partridge conducted these affairs in a different manner than the revelation designated, because that's what happens all the time. We are told to do things a certain way, and then we do things a different way. We think that we can change things. I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. But getting back to the fundamentals of the restoration is important. Because as we veer from the path that God has set from us, that actually is called iniquity. That's what the definition in Hebrew is of the word that we use in English called iniquity. So uh, we've got a, we've got a, you know, if, a, if, if Jesus Christ tells us that we should kneel for the sacrament and we should use the sign of the Melchizedek or the Aaronic priesthood while blessing the sacrament and the whole congregation should kneel and we should use one cup, then that's the way God wanted it to be. And that's the way it should be done. So, um, I don't, you know, but we we decide, uh, oh, we don't have to worry about doing all of that. And, oh, yeah, in the administering of the sacrament, like when it's passed from one lay person to another, not having priesthood, that person who is passing it to the person next to them that doesn't have priesthood is administering the sacrament to that person. But it's supposed to be administered by the priesthood. That's another thing that is one of these things that we get off and do things that we're not supposed to do, and then we accept it because that's the way it was when we found out, like when I converted or whatever. You know, well, that's just the way the culture is. Well, over time, we get further and further away from what God has asked us to do, and we need to reset and go back to doing what God has asked us to do instead of what our culture is. And uh, the Jews had a hard time with that. You know, they had all of their traditions and their cultures that they had mingled with the scriptures to to hedge up about the law or the Torah. And every time they do that, God sends them a prophet after they get off the path so far 
and the people can either repent or they can continue doing what they're doing and then they get punished for it. And more often than not, they refuse to listen to the prophets that sent them in their day and they say that prophet is delusional and that he's not from God and he works by the power of Beelzebub, which is what the Jews said to Jesus, you know, that he worked by the power of the devil and all these things. And they refused to repent because they had their they had their hearts hardened and their cultures and their traditions, which were perversions of the correct instructions that God gives. At one time, Partridge conducted these affairs in a different manner than the revelations designated. Part of his trouble was his unbelief and the blindness of heart. Doctrine and Covenants section 14, I'm sorry, section 58, verses 14 through 16. These sins were not confined just to Edward, but to the whole church. The Lord said in 1832, quote, And your minds in times past have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things you have received, which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. And this condemnation resteth upon the children of Zion, even all. And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent. Otherwise, there remaineth a scourge and a judgment to be poured out upon the children of Zion. Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, verse 54 through 58. History clearly shows that the saints were cast out from the land of their inheritance because of the envyings, strifes, and lustful and covetous desires among them. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, verses 1 through 8. Brigham Young verified this by saying, quote, in some of the first revelations which were given to this church, the order of Enoch was given for a pattern to this people. And Enoch patterned after the revela- or after the heavens. In the commencement of the church, the Latter-day Saints could not receive it. And they were driven from city to city as the Lord said they should be through the mouth of his servant Joseph until they should be willing to receive this order. But another significant error in Edward Partridge's method was that he would give back to the saints a title to land as part of their stewardship, whereas all land titles should have stayed with the church or the order. This land consecrated to the church was not to be sold as individuals had only a stewardship over it. This is a very important factor in building up the the hand of Zion, the land of Zion, I think is what it's supposed to say, and in the receiving of inheritances. The whole land of Zion was meant to be built on this principle. This pattern would also discourage opportunists who might join the group to acquire an inheritance and promptly withdraw. Now, one observation. When 
the Israelites went into the land of Canaan and divided up the different regions for the different tribes and the different families had their stewardships given to them. They retained their stewardships in their tribes and in their families. And they would not sell to foreigners that were coming in trying to usurp any kind of authority or any kind of anything, you know. So when they talk about those things, about the United Order, it it actually goes along with the pattern set forth by the Lord God of Israel to to the Israelites in the land of Canaan, which is where they settled. That's where Israel is and and Jordan and Lebanon and all of that. That's all part of the land of Israel. Anyway, continuing on. Finally, the non-title policy gave Partridge the power under the threat of the forfeiture of the entire stewardship to enforce standards of workmanship, social behavior, and personal morality among those receiving inheritances. The wealth of the community would never be lost to apostates, troublemakers, or idlers. And quote, building the city of God by Leonard Arrington, Fox, and May, page 23. When a deed or gift was given over to the bishop, the man was at that moment poor, because it's like he just gave everything to the church or to the bishop or to the United Order. After which the bishop then gave back property as a loan or a lease, which became his stewardship and his inheritance in Zion. This stewardship covenant was to be continuous, and the property was to be evaluated at the end of the year, and then all the surplus given to the bishop page 73, and we're about 22% through the chapter right now. This contract was binding during the life of the man unless he left the order. It was also binding for his widow and children in the event of the man's death, and his children also had claim upon the contract until they were of age. The duties assigned to Bishop Partridge were appointed to others as directed by the Lord, and let my servant Edward Partridge stand in the office to which I have appointed him, and divide unto the saints their inheritances, even as I have commanded, and also those whom he has appointed to assist him. Doctrine and Covenants, section 57, verse 7. But the inheritances mentioned in these revelations could be obtained only by obedience to God and the principles of the United Order. Quote, And with one heart and with one mind, gather up your riches that ye may purchase an inheritance which shall hereafter be appointed unto you. Doctrine and Covenants, section 45, verse 65. And also... Save all the monies that ye can to be uh, enabled to purchase land for an inheritance. Doctrine and Covenants, section 48, verse 4. Then later the Lord again said, Wherefore, it is wisdom that the land should be purchased by the saints and also 
every tract lying westward, even unto the line running directly between Jew and Gentile, and also every tract bordering by the prairies, insomuch as my disciples are enabled to buy lands, behold, this is wisdom, that they may obtain it for an everlasting inheritance. Doctrine and Covenants, section 57, verses 4 through 5. So basically, Heavenly Father, or Jesus, was telling the saints not to just go in and take the land, but to buy it from the Gentiles, so that they could have it for an inheritance and then not to sell it to anybody but those who are saints. And in this way, they would grow gradually over time and be able to buy up the land. And as the Gentiles moved out or sold their land, then the Zion would grow and be purified from a Gentile, you know, whatever, but just the Gentiles being in the center place, you know, in the in the center place of Zion, where they were. Continuing on, the object of purchasing land was to consecrate it to the church or the United Order, which would in turn build up a territory or nation of Israel for the people. The Lord said, quote, whoso, whoso standeth in his mission is appointed to be a judge in Israel, like as it was in ancient days to divide the lands of the heritage of God unto his children. Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verse 17. So, when the Jews went into the land of Canaan, they remained in Mizraim, or uh, Egypt, for 400 and something years. And during that time, the Canaanites continued to get more wicked and more wicked, and they were sacrificing their children to, I think it was Baal or Balak, no, I think it was Baal, um, or one of these demon gods, basically, that had to have child sacrifice, and they were doing all kinds of crazy things, and they got ripened in iniquity to the point where instead of this, uh, the Israelites going in and buying up the land, like Heavenly Father's telling us to do, they went in and killed everyone, because God allowed that to happen, and he actually commanded it. Um, because the people were so wicked. But the Gentiles in North America are not as wicked as those people, you know, that were in the land of Canaan. So God is telling them, buy up the land. It's not go kill everyone and take their land or steal their land. It's buy up the land so that you can grow Zion. And over time flush out the Gentiles. The program of land distribution, as it was in ancient days, was to assign the tribes an apportionment or stewardship for an everlasting inheritance. The grand peak of such a program was archived under Joshua, so Joshua, son of Nun, who succeeded Moses, that whole thing, that's when they went into the land, uh, to the promised land and did what they had to do, right? So um, this, like I said, this is patterned after what God has already done in the land of Canaan, but let's continue reading. 
each tribe received their inheritance in Canaan, becoming a separate state or government within a government. The map of this divided inheritance is usually found in every Bible. Tribes of Israel, 1445 B.C. The tribes of Israel had reached the peak of their national existence under Joshua. Each tribe received an inheritance in Canaan and uh, and became a distinct nation with established boundaries and separate governments. So each tribe had their land. So, you know, Judah had their land, Ephraim had their land. Um, It's... uh, I can't remember all of them. I, I've actually been up all night, so um, I'm kind of tired. But that every one of the tribes had their own inheritances, except for the Levites, of course, because they were, were the priestly class, and they were scattered among all the all of the nations of Israel or tribes of Israel. Anyway, we're on page seventy six at about thirty four percent. This gathering of Israel was in obedience to a revelation of God and had divine approval. But the Israelites sinned by forsaking the covenants the Lord gave them and eventually became scattered among the nations. We read where the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which in the Bible, the Lord, wherever it says Lord their God, what it is saying there is Jehovah their Elohim. Um, for a point that I could go on and on about. But yeah, every everywhere in the Old Testament, uh, especially in the King James Version, where the capital L-O-R-D is given, that there was translated from Yehovah, or the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-V-H, which is the name of God. And everywhere it says the Lord their God, it literally says... Jehovah, their Elohim. Anyway, let's see here. We read where the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God and walked in the statutes of the heathens, so they adopted the ways of the heathens. And that's Second Kings chapter 17, verses 6 through 8. Their identity became lost because they were no longer a peculiar people, Uh, They lived like Gentiles and became one with the Gentiles in all their customs, fashions, and laws. Now, real quick, when we as the children of God or the Christians as the bride of Christ go and adopt the ways of the Gentiles or the heathens, what we're doing there is we're trading our true husband for our false husband. So whenever it talks about the whore of all the earth, the reason it's saying the whore is because these are supposed to be the bride of Christ who are doing God's commands and living God's standards, but then they do these Gentile things, so they're whoring themselves off after other gods, and so God calls them what they are, the whore of all the earth, or the the great harlots, or, or whatever. So... The fate of these tri- of the tribes of Israel had perplexed many historians and scriptorians, but the problem of where Israel is and what became of them is not as important to consider as why they became lost. We should ask, 
Why did they lose their lands, their inheritances, their kingdom, and their rights to the priesthood? The scriptures indicate that they rejected his statutes, God's commandments, and followed after vanity and went after the heathen. So they adopted the ways of the heathen instead of being uh, obedient to what God had told them to do. They started doing all these other things and making excuses, kind of like the saints do today. You know, we have to worry about that and we're going to just live in Babylon and act like Babylonians and then when we go to church once a week then we'll repent of all our sins and pretend we're saints again. You know, that's kind of the way it was with ancient Israel and that's kind of the way it is today. And you know, um Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. It happened then, it happens now, it will happen until the people learn to be obedient to God's commandments. Anyway, It is little wonder that they were taken captive, losing their temporal and spiritual powers, not to mention their separate identity. The Lord wanted them that if they sinned against, or I'm sorry, the Lord warned them that if they sinned against him, he would scatter them among the heathen. See Leviticus chapter 33. And to the coasts of the earth. See Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 8. And so it was that the Lord said, quote, I scattered them among the heathen and they were dispersed through the uh, through the countries. And that's in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 17. Thus Israel failed to keep their inheritances and land titles and were able to stay gathered During the time of Christ, Jesus tried to gather the the house of Israel back together, declaring that he was not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew chapter 15, verse 24. But like every time a prophet is sent, and Jesus was a prophet, he was the greatest of prophets, but he was a prophet, and he was sent to gather the people, and they don't want to listen because they're... They've got their traditions, and they're prideful in their knowledge, and they don't think they need to be corrected, and it's the same in all ages of the history of the uh, celestial earth. Even as apostles attempted to gather them together from their long dispersion, the apostle James wrote a letter to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, James chapter 1, verse 1, but their efforts also failed. It was not until nearly 2,000 years later that the Lord made another attempt to gather them together again. In our dispensation, the Lord gave instructions that the land titles should be kept by the church, even though the person holding the stewardship over it should apostatize and leave. And or if he shall transgress and is not accounted worthy to belong to the church, he shall not have power to claim that portion which he has consecrated unto the bishop for the poor and the needy of my church, but shall only have claim on that portion that is deeded unto him. Doctrine and Covenants, section 51, verse 5. The prophet Joseph Smith added the same counsel I would inform you that it is not the will of the Lord for you to sell your lands in Zion. 
Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 31. Zion should not be removed out of her place, therefore the land should not be sold, but be held by the saints. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 33. And again, concerning the inheritances, you are bound by the law of the Lord to give a deed securing to him who receives inheritance his inheritance for an everlasting inheritance, or in other words, to be his his individual property, his private stewardship. And if he is found a transgressor, he should be cut off out of the church. We're on page 178 at 48%. So he'll be cut off out of the church. His inheritance is, is still or is his still, and he is delivered over to the buffetings of Satan until the day of redemption. But the property which he consecrated to the poor for the benefit and inheritance and stewardship, in other words, his surplus, he cannot obtain again by the law of the Lord. Thus you see the property of the propriety of the law that rich men cannot have power to disinherit the poor by obtaining obtaining again that which they have contributed. Contributor 6, 7. And I think it's volume 6, page 7, but I'm not exactly sure. And i got to say this before I continue on. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in one account that we only know about because somebody in the church in the financial department leaked the existence of this account. They call it the Enzyme Peak account. There was $129 billion in that account, which the church has actually gotten in trouble with the government over because it's a business account. You know, it's just, all these stocks and bonds that are just growing and whatever and whatever, but they said, what was this for? And it, I think, I can't remember exactly, but I remember reading somewhere that the church responded that it was for a, the second coming or the return of Christ or a rainy day. I can't remember. Anyway, um, so we know where the land of Zion is. The church collects $16 billion a year, at least it used to, they have literally hundreds of billions of dollars in assets and and everything else, and why aren't they doing what God wants them to do? Why are not we, as a church, buying up the heartland of this country. I mean, they have cattle ranches in Florida, and uh, they own, like, communities in Florida. You know, I, I don't remember that being the center place. But we're supposed to be living united orders, and, like, God wants to give an inheritance to his saints, but... 
if if like I know that there's a lot of people that when they die they just give everything that they have or their their everything to the church. And then what does the church do? They turn around and sell it to whichever person comes along with money. You know, that's not that's not in order. That's not what God wants for his saints or his church or the redemption of Zion. Anyway, continuing. The Lord said that no man among you shall call it his own or any part of it, for it shall belong to you all with one accord. Doctrine and Covenants, section 104, verse 62. The basic principle upon which an inheritance was obtained or predicated upon the following premise. Number one, an inheritance was obtained through consecration. Number two, titles of land were given to the, uni- to the United Order or the Church. Number three, land could not be sold to the Gentiles. Number four, if a person left the order, he could not have claim upon the land title, but, he, but only his stewardship. Number five, inheritances would continue to be held by the widows and their children. Number six, the laws of God were to be obeyed as they were anciently for the benefit of all Israel. Number seven, every saint had his free agency to improve his stewardship. We're on page 179, or 54%. Number eight, all temple efforts were utilized for the building up of Zion in the kingdom of God. Thus the Lord has shown his people how to receive an inheritance. And Brigham Young explained when when we shall when shall we receive our inheritances so that we may say they are our own? When the Savior has completed the work, when the faithful saints have preached the gospel to the last of the spirits who lived here and who are designed to come to this earth when the thousand years of rest shall come and thousands and thousands of temples shall be built and the servants and handmaidens of the Lord shall have received therein and officiated for themselves and for their de- or for their dead friends back to the days of Adam when the last spirits last of the spirits in prison who received the gospel has received it when the Savior comes and receives his ready bride, and all who can be saved in various kingdoms of God, celestial, terrestrial, and celestial, according to their several capacities and opportunities, when sin and iniquity are driven from the earth, and the spirits that now float in this atmosphere are driven into the place prepared for them, and when the earth is sanctified from the effects of the fall and baptized, cleansed and purified by fire and re- and returns to its paradisaical state and has become like a sea of glass, a Urim and Thummim. When all this is done and the Savior has presented the earth to his Father and, and it is a place in the cluster of the celestial kingdom 
and the son and all his faithful brethren and sisters have received the welcome plaudit. Enter ye into the joy of, of your Lord, and the Savior is crowned. Then and not till then will the saints receive their everlasting inheritance. I want you to understand this. We see seem to be we seem to have something now, but how long shall we keep it? Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 117. And I don't know about all. I don't know about all of that. Um, we're supposed to be buying land up and creating united orders on them, and not selling it to the Gentiles and pushing out the Gentiles so that we can purify Zion and we've had over 200 years well not quite 200 years but we've had a long time 180 years whatever it is well it'll be well let me think 1830 and it's 2021 so yeah 191 years since the church was organized and we were given these commandments starting in the 1830s and the LDS church has vast sums of wealth why aren't we doing any of this? Why are not the saints creating these united orders? How is it that the church has billions and billions of dollars that they could liquidate to buy so much and create united orders and not one united orders on the church despite the fact that there's 16 million members of the church. Orson Pratt also gave the saints a somber bit of advice for gaining this everlasting inheritance. Quote, use every exertion to flee out from the corruption of the Gentiles and to obtain for yourselves an everlasting inheritance among the people of God, for the day of the wicked is far spent. Their sun will soon go down in the midst of the clouds in the thick darkness. A long and dreary night awaits them. But upon such as fear the Lord and keep his commandments, the sun of righteousness will arise, and their day will be glorious. And their sun shall no more go down for God. And their sun shall no more go down, for God will be unto them an everlasting light, which shall shine forevermore. The Seer, page 168, verse, or, yeah, it's page 168 and 169. Jesus told his disciples that whatever they had forsaken or consecrated, for the cause of the gospel would be returned 
and hundredfold. See Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. See also Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verse 19, and DNC section 132, verse 55. The prophet Joseph also added a similar exhortation to the saints. Now we're on page 181, 68%. All men who become heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ will have to receive the fullness of the ordinances of his kingdom, and those who will not receive all the ordinances will come short of the fullness of that glory if they do not lose the whole. That was Joseph Smith and Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 309. The Latter-day Saints have not been able to rid themselves of the spirit of speculation. And all that means is that they're into buying money, I mean buying property or whatever it is, and then selling it for a higher rate. That's speculation, right? Today the Mormons are into a real estate business into the real estate business of buying and selling to anyone, anytime, just for the profit. No one is purchasing land to consecrate it to the church. The principle of purchasing land and consecrating it to the church or the United Order is an inheritance that has been Im- abandoned. If someone would ask a bishop to receive the consecration for a stewardship and inheritance, there wouldn't be a bishop in the church that would know how to go about it, nor would they know if they could even if it could even be done. Earlier, this had been the specific duty and responsibility of a bishop, who was Bishop Edward Partridge, according to the revelations of the Lord. But in spite of the many admonitions and warnings, the saints in general failed to consecrate their land, choosing rather to speculate upon it for a personal profit. So, um, real quick, I just wanted to say, the LDS Church did buy some land. And they put a Gentile... Babylon the Great shopping mall in it downtown right next to the temple. They spent $7 billion to create the City Creek Mall complex. They wanted to beautify the city with Babylon the Great. They spent $7 billion of of the church funds to do this. And they own it. We're supposed to come out of Babylon, but here they are building up Babylon the Great in all of its glory and sticking it right next to the temple of, of the living God in downtown Salt Lake City, Utah. Not one united order not one united order. Quote, We find, therefore, that the Lord drove out this people because they were unworthy to receive, because we were unworthy to receive our inheritances by consecration. As a people, we did not strictly comply with that which the Lord required. Neither did they comply in Kirtland, 
many of those persons were called by name to enter into an inferior order and afterwards called to the order of Enoch in which only a portion of their property was consecrated and even they did not comply. But some of them broke the most sacred and solemn covenant made before the high heaven in relation to that order. The Lord said concerning them that they should be delivered over to the buffetings of Satan in this world as well as be punished in the world to come. He also told them that the souls that sinned and would not comply with the covenants and promises which they made before him in relation to their properties should have his former sins returned to him, which had been before remitted in baptism. This ought to be an example for us who are living at a later period in history uh, of the history of the Church of the Living God and who ought by this time to have become thoroughly experienced in the laws of God. Journal of Discourses, Volume 15, page 358. And that was actually Orson Pratt, who was an apostle in the early church that said that. As alluded to already in this chapter, the Lord intended that the righteous that righteous Israel would receive both a temporal and a spiritual inheritance, pertaining to both this mortal sphere as well as in eternity. Jesus said, "The meek shall inherit the earth," which refers to their eternal inheritance. This is further explained, and I hold forth and deign to give unto you greater riches, even a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, upon which there shall be no curse when the Lord cometh, and I will give it unto you for the land of your inheritance, if you seek it with all your hearts, and this shall be my covenant with you, ye shall have it for the land of your inheritance, and for the inheritances of your children forever." while the earth shall stand, and ye shall possess it again in eternity, no more to pass away. Doctrine and Covenants, section 38, verses 18 through 20, and we're on page 183 at 84%. Thus the blessings of an inheritance according to the Lord's law cannot be overestimated because they are eternal in their nature. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 63, verses 20 and 48. Speaking of the eternal and everlasting inheritances that would be given to the saints, the Lord spoke of the, of the resurrection when he said, quote, And then shall the angels be crowned with the glory of his might, and the saints shall be fi- filled with his glory and receive their inheritance and be made equal with him. Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 107. Gaining for ourselves an inheritance is more than just obtaining a piece of real estate. When the saints learn to consecrate everything to the Lord, they are gaining an inheritance that will will last throughout all eternity and will be a richness beyond the powers of understanding. 
Orson Pratt explained it this way. O ye saints of the latter days, don't forget the high destiny that awaits you. An eternity is before you, which has no end. A boundless space surrounds you, filled with an infinitude of worlds, the kingdoms, principalities, and heavenly powers that, that fill all the vast expanse are yours. The heights, depths, and lengths, and breadths, and riches, and honors, and the wisdom of, and excellency of the knowledge and power, the glory of all things, and the fullness of all things are yours forever and ever. And that was written in his book, The Seer, page 300. After our missions on our mission on earth is finished and we stand in the in the resurrection to receive our everlasting inheritance it will be then it will be realized what our sacrifices and consecrations and mortality have been what offerings and consecrations are this people making today how many saints Understand that an inher- what an inheritance in Zion really is. How many saints today are trying to gain an everlasting inheritance? Chapter two. All right. Um, how many saints understand what an inheritance in Zion really is? Because they don't teach it in the church. It's in the scriptures, but they don't teach it. They have a correlated system that they go over and as a gospel doctrine teacher I received a manual and in that manual I was told to stick to the topics of the manual and not to veer off from them so if we're in a section and somebody brings up something in that section that's not in the manual I'm supposed to get them to stick to the manual and not talk about these other things that the church didn't give us permission through the manual and the correlation department, whatever, to to talk about, right? Once many of the saints sought with all their hearts to gain an inheritance in Zion, today it is not even mentioned, but now is the time for the saints to be striving for the eternal blessings and say as Orson Hyde, quote, I count an inheritance in the kingdom of God greater than anything this world can afford. Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, page 215. So that's the end of the chapter. We're on page 185. And uh, we're going to, the next time we come back on to read this book, we're going to be reading chapter 13, The Honorable Law of the Land. And... Let me just read the first page of that real quick to give you a little preview on what we're going to talk about next time we do the program. We believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law, 12th article of faith. In Thompson, near Kirtland, Ohio, some of the Latter-day Saints attempted to organize themselves into a united order. But before a full organization could be, could be completed according to the principles of consecration, some of the wealthy members backed out. They turned to the Gentile civil courts and sued the church. 
This was a serious blow to the establishment of the United Order in its earliest attempt, because they won the case, causing the collapse of the Order. The Saints learned from this early lesson that it was necessary to organize, purchase land, and deed properties according to the laws of the land. Otherwise, the Gentiles and the apostates would have power to destroy and rob them of their property. This rule of obeying the law of the land in temporal affairs was also confirmed by the Lord, who said, quote, Organize yourselves according to the laws of man, laws of man, that your enemies may not have power over you. Doctrine and Covenants, section 44, verses 4 through 5. So, yep, that's what we're going to be taking care of next time when uh, I come back to the program and I read the next chapter of this book. And uh, we'll just leave it at that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been a Zion's Redemption Radio Network program, Fundamentally Mormon. And uh, it's brought to you by the Church of the Living Messiah and the School of the Prophets. And I'm just glad that you are able to hopefully learn something today from this program. So anyway, thank you, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye.